what other brand can we talk about in all of cycling where the probably the majority of our listeners have used it? It's a lightweight pretty, wheels. Light, besides lightweight wheels. And- I've, I, we can't move on yet. I just remembered my biggest problem with Strava. Oh, yeah. Okay. You do an Everesting like 76 times with a more gap. And within 90 days, you've lost your local legend status. <laughs> you got to space okay. it out. That's the problem. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Warning, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It's Thursday, February 16th. It's good to be back. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. We have a, a, a quite an extensive list of, of nerdy, geeky things to talk about. And joining me, of course, Dave Rum. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Three wildly different time zones <laughs> podcast <laughs> at the moment. It, there's, there's literally like one hour of the day that we can make this podcast, and it is right now. Yep. It's seven a.m. for me. I don't know what's it. What's it for you, Kaylee? It's like one p.m. I'm 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 the one that gets the the easy time here. Okay, and Ronan. It's twenty twenty for me. Time eight twenty p.m. Eight twenty p.m. So there we go. This is our one. It's our one window. Listeners don't care about this. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Ronan. All How right. are you? All right. We'll move on. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm listening to you two guys talking about breakfast and lunch. I'm wishing I could go back to that and have more coffee, but it's much too late in my evening for more coffee. The good news for you, though, is you are only one sleep away from more coffee. Mm, you You're actually ahead of us. You know I don't like sleeping. <laughs> I know, because all of our meetings are at like 10 p.m. your time. Uh, all right. We got, a, like I said, a fair amount to talk about today. We're going to give you a little update on what's going on at Parley and their restructuring. Uh, there is a lawsuit playing out in Florida, I believe, right, Ronan? Between SRAM and Princeton Carbon this week uh, around wheels. And you, I think we talked about this previously. You've probably seen the news around this previously. But we're going to dig into what's going on there, what some of the arguments are from, from either side. We're going to talk a little bit about the S-Works of Cannondale in a little bit. And some news out of Strava. Their CEO is stepping down again and we're gonna talk about what that means dave rome you've got some suggestions around brake bleeding we'll get into at the very end of the show mm-hmm. but let's let's kick off with parley so uh, do we have any significant updates we talked about this on a recent show we said that they were having some issues they were going through restructuring where are we now i guess that's me <laughs> Uh, basically it's, it's, it's not any real major news from what we discussed last week. I guess the, the good news is, is that, uh, it appears from, at least from a public facing point of view, they have restructured and all is well. They're, they're back on track. They're, they're claiming that they're going to continue on from their 23 years of custom carbon bike building. Uh, and yeah, it does seem like, at least from the outside that the, the custom side of things is, is carrying on as almost business as usual. Uh, yeah, we're still, I guess, early days. We'll, we'll find out with time whether that includes the, the production frames out of Asia. But uh, yeah, good news for uh, a brand of uh, notoriety. Yeah, excellent news. And, and I guess sort of proof that these restructuring 
episodes do not have to be a death sentence, right? Yeah. In fact, that's kind of that's the whole point of chapter eleven, right? Correct. Is yeah. that it is not automatically a death sentence. It's not always the easiest thing to navigate, mm-hmm. but it is not a death sentence. So, good news for other brands that are perhaps pointed in the same direction. Yeah. Yeah, I think those those restructuring uh, endeavors are, are going to become a common sight over the next few months, year, two years, as as uh, everyone finds themselves with a, a lot of stock bloat following the pandemic. And uh, yeah, I think it's Pali's uh, quick move to being back on track is uh, a good sign. Very good sign. It's a brand we love. Ronan, interesting news tidbit out of Florida actually, of all places this week. Uh, There is a trial about to begin between SRAM and Princeton Carbon Works. Uh, I'm actually, actually, why don't I just read you the first paragraph of this this law story about it. Bicycle Bicycle components manufacturer SRAM Corp on Monday accused Princeton Carbon Works of infringing its two bicycle wheel designs alleging during opening statements before a Miami federal jury that its rival copied the company despite already knowing patents already existed. So this is SRAM accusing Princeton Carbon Works of using a design that, in fact, it was licensing from a name that will be familiar to a lot of our listeners, uh, Demetrius Katsanis, and that, that accusation is now going to trial in Miami this week. Ronan, what else can you tell me about this? Uh, not much. You've kind of summed up quite a lot. Let's <laughs> <laughs> do your thunder. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that, we should probably say this is probably not news to anybody. The news or the update this week is that it's actually come to trial. Uh, now, we, I think everybody sort of knew SRAM and ZIPS sort of complaints with Princeton's design. Uh, and it's actually a full, almost a full two years ago that they yeah that they initially kicked off these proceedings and basically asked Princeton to stop copying their wavy wheel design which which Zip have as you said on license from Demetrius Katsanis the the brains behind quite a lot of the Team GB track bikes over the past uh, couple of decades and of course Philippe Ogana's 3D printed Panarello track frame uh, in October of last year well Katsanis had this patent for wavy wheels which i think he copied from humpback whales which yeah maybe maybe humpback whales have a bigger case here than than anybody <laughs> but uh, leave, leaving the whales aside for a second uh zip have that wavy rim design on license from from katsanis and when princeton popped up with their wavy wheel rim design in 2017 yeah Zip didn't like it all that much. So fast forward to today, and we're sort of we're getting a bit more details on exactly what it is Shram's case is uh, and what Princeton's defense is. And basically, long story short, uh, Shram are claiming that uh, they Demetrius and themselves licensing it from it from him have a patent on this wavy wheel rim design, which is said to. Um, improve the aerodynamics of of the rim, decrease drag, and they are claiming that uh, Princeton have effectively copied that design. And yeah, they're not they're not too happy about that. Basically, uh, they are seeking damages of about nine and a half million dollars stemming from lost profits. 
or uh, at least two point nine million dollars in terms of lost royalties. So you know, it's fairly fairly big numbers we're talking about here. Relatively big mm. numbers that we're we're talking yeah. about here. Yeah, for bicycle wheels, uh, for sure. I mean, that's yeah, like they, that's like six lightweight wheels. <laughs> <laughs> With inflation, it's probably about five lightweight uh, wheels. Okay. Right. So, <laughs> but yes, it's 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 a heck of a lot of money, um, and. Yes, basically, they're saying that Princeton Carbon Works design also copied the undulating configuration with the convex peaks on the inside of the rim. So, they, you know, they, they, the wheels definitely have a similarity amongst them. You know, you can see that just by looking at them. Uh, but, you know, we should say that Princeton Carbon Works are denying uh, infringing the, the patent there. And basically, their defense is that... Demetrius Katsanis or Zip or Shram or whoever can't patent something that was already invented and they are pointing to a patent that was listed in, I believe, like 1999 for a similar rim design. Mm. Uh, and what, what Princeton are now... Um, basically, their, their defense is that since this patent was already in existence and has actually expired at this point, uh, Katsanis was only allowed to patent something very limited and specific and since his inventions were only modifications of the original design that sort of frees them up to make modifications of the original design also so wow yeah it'd be interesting to see how it goes it's very it's amazing how drawn out it is as well like what with five years after that that claim mm-hmm. was uh, first put forward by, by Shram and um, yeah and I'm sure this isn't going to be a quick case either a quick trial. Yeah, well, I think I think Shram f- or Zip first launched this rim design in uh, November of 2016. And one of the things they actually pointed out this week was that Princeton Carbon Works filed their own application on the very same day that Zip launched that rim. So that's an interesting coincidence, I guess. Mm. Um, but you know, Princeton are their their point is well, you know, we were already working on this design before we knew anything about your wheels and our wheels came out within a matter of months after that. So, well, none of us are lawyers, <laughs> no. So, no. I don't think we're going to try to. Uh, I don't think we're going to try to pinpoint which direction this will go. Uh, you could definitely see why why SRAM and Zip are kind of annoyed because they are, I would imagine, paying for that licensing. Uh, and mm-hmm. if they didn't believe that the idea was patentable and therefore licensable, then they would have just made this anyway. Right, they would have just made yeah. wavy wheels without paying Demetrius Katanis for it. So they clearly believe that the the patent is valid, or else they wouldn't be paying to to license that that d- design. And then another company has gone off and and decided to do the opposite. So an interesting bit of a I don't know an interesting industry kerfuffle. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Princeton argued that Katsanis simply patented a design with alternating bulges on the inside of the rims, whereas the shapes of their clients' designs were more akin to peaks on the instead of bulges that are curved mm. like a dome. So uh, if anybody out there knows their peaks and bulges and the, <laughs> the differences between them, <laughs> perhaps we could sort this whole thing out outside of court. Ah... Uh lawyers well like i said we don't know how this is going to go we're just going to keep an eye on it and i can't imagine it's going to wrap up particularly quickly like you said dave uh, so we'll just uh yeah we'll keep an eye the on trial it. is expected to last two weeks 
I mean, uh, yeah. so we got two episodes then. Three episodes. Uh, I, I mean, if if SRAM wins this, it's it's a it's a lot of money for Princeton. Like that is that would mm. do some serious damage to them. So that's why mm. I guess that's why this really matters, right? It's like this is this is maybe not hanging in the balance, maybe not a company hanging in the balance, but uh, probably pretty close. Yeah. Well, let's move on from courtroom uh, and things that, frankly, no pun intended, slightly out of our wheelhouse, and get into what I kind of teased earlier. Uh, and actually, Cannondale has teased this a fair amount as well. And I believe the embargo was up yesterday, so now we can officially talk about it. Dave Rome, tell me what Lab 71 is. Uh, I can tell you what it isn't, which is at this point a new bike. Is it where they study aliens? It's where they study aliens. Where they study aliens? <laughs> Maybe. We don't know. Cannondale's being a little bit uh, vague on this. To be honest, I, I do know more about this than I can probably l- lead on at this time. But basically, Lab 71 is, the simplest way to put it, is it's Cannondale's um, equivalent to S-Works. It's their new top-end performance-driven racing line of products. Uh, we haven't seen said product yet, but yeah, you can imagine that there's going to be bikes coming that sit at the very, very top end. And given that it's S-Works-y, uh, you can imagine that it's, uh, yeah, probably carbon fiber bikes with uh, higher grade carbon fiber being used than, than others in the lineup. Um, yeah, flagship components, really stuff that uh, is probably given to, to the best riders that they, they sponsor and is the best that they can do as a company i'm sure they're gonna love you describing it as like s works yeah I'd, i'm <laughs> sure S-works i'm sure uh that is not gonna go down great but i mean that's like as a as a simple way like you know specialized has done that very successfully in the marketplace and uh, everyone's familiar of what that is and that's uh for me the the easiest way to explain that without uh, repeating their press release. But there is actually a much easier way is that, you know, if Cannondale actually acknowledged the bike that is already existing, in existence that is already winning races. What bike? Then then, then we could talk about Brandon, it. What bike? And, well, I mean, I, I watch bike racing on TV. So <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen Nielsen Pilos and a couple of other... Oh, my hard drive doesn't like me talking about this. It just jumped off, leaped off the table in an attempt to keep me quiet. It is. It all. It, it's a bit. Um... Basically, what I'm saying is that there is, you know, EF are racing this year with a new Canon deal that says Lab 71 on the seat post, and huh. presumably that is going to be the first in the new Lab 71 race. Don't know what you're talking but... about. <laughs> yeah, no idea. Ryan. You don't. You don't watch road racing, do you? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's just the old bike. The, the, the... <laughs> Rome, you were ta- we were talking about this before we hit record, and, and yeah. you pointed out that the it's made the press release quite funny, because they had to they you know these the the, the poor marketing department over at Cannondale had to figure out how to write about Lab Seventy One without specifically talking about any of the bikes that are coming yeah. soon, right? Yeah, we've all had to write around things, right? <laughs> Try to write around sure. facts, uh, and it's just it's just a big pile of that, which makes it kind of a kind of a humorous read for funny. us at this point. But yeah, so Lab 71 moving forward will be Cannondale's very top tier flagship product. Um, and, and it's racing driven is the thing that they want to get forward for people. So it's not, uh, say like the, the old, what was it, Black, Black Ink edition bikes that they used to do as a company? Was it Black Ink? I feel like it was Black Ink. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So those were like their flagship, like really cool brand uh, bikes with like cost no limit parts. So you'd see like Chris King hubs and MV rims and all sorts of stuff that their teams wouldn't be allowed to ride due to sponsors, but it'd just be stuff that their product managers just thought were like, what would I do on my own bike? Um, this this Lab 71 is different. It's it's literally like creating the highest performance product they can. Uh, and and yeah, it's it's not going to be limited to road. They'll they'll be in mountain bike and and basically any other racing discipline that Cannondale dabbles in. You can probably imagine it. At some point, they'll they'll launch a Lab Seventy One edition of. Are we going to get a Lab Seventy One CAD? Because that's really what I want. I would love that. Uh, I vaguely recall asking them about that and was told no. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, maybe they can prove me wrong. We'll see. I, that would be amazing. I mean, you know, if you're going to build the world's best crit bike, that's what it would be, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Lab 71, CAD, what are we on? 14, 15, 16? Yeah. By I don't know how, how you'd use a, a higher level of uh, carbon fiber layup with that model, but yes. You could do even fancier aluminum. Aluminium, sorry. That's true. Oh, okay. yeah. That's true. <laughs> you, could, you could put carbon tubes in between it. Ooh. 613, re reboot that would be awesome i love that bike mm. back in the I day i would buy one would buy yeah. one well mm. I, I like seeing it i mean just from a you know this is this is a tech podcast not a marketing podcast but i think it's clever it clearly works for specialized it works elsewhere it works in the car industry for example uh yeah it's a good way to tell people it's a good way, to, a good way for for the the consumer to immediately identify what this bike's purpose is mm. and ironically even if that purpose doesn't fit their use it can still be quite a useful marketing tool, right? I mean, think about all the people on S-Works bikes that are never going to race them. Yeah. But it just says, it says fast, it says quality. So I think it's a smart thing to do. And uh, and frankly, like the bikes will probably be pretty sweet, right? Because yeah. whenever they put that much time and attention into making a bike as quick as possible, it's probably something that we're going to be pretty into. Exactly. And there's there are some like new emerging resins and, and carbon fiber, like high modulus carbon fibers that are very difficult to work with or very expensive to work with because say they, they might have like a very short shelf life uh, when you start to use them. So you have to use up that that uh, pre-preg carbon very quickly. You can't just keep it around in storage for very long. Mm. Uh, and that has inherent cost and that cost is something that you can't just put put into your regular lineup because you're going to offend people with the pricing that you have to have. So it's, it is kind of cool to have this like flagship product. That's kind of almost unapologetic with, with what it costs. Um, it's just like, you know, a, a sign of what we can do versus what we should do for, for market relevance. I feel like we're kind of contradicting ourselves here because we often lament yes. uh, such things. But I, I think that what we actually lament is is 105 bikes costing $8,000. I, I don't think any of us have anything against... I have nothing yeah. against $20,000 bikes. I think I probably won't buy one. But yeah. I have nothing against them because they exist in no. this sort of like other stratosphere that... Yeah. It's just interesting for its own on its own merits. Yeah. It's not our, our a, previous... intended yes. to be available to everybody. Yeah, our previous issue with the twenty thousand dollar bikes is that they really existed in many cases to sell more thirteen or fifteen thousand dollar bikes, uh, and I, I'm I'm not convinced that that's the case here uh, mm. with, with Lab Seventy One. I think uh, from what I've seen, I, I think Cannondale will will continue to offer a sensible product beneath it. Give me a Lab Seventy One CAD. That's all I want. All right, 
it is time. In the meantime, for... Dave, if you watch if you watch the Volta Algarve tomorrow, you might you might see a Lab Seventy One. The guy the guy in the yellow jersey has a bike that says. Still Lab don't know what you're talking about. I'm so sorry. I don't know if it's the same bike or not, but have a look and see what you think. Is that an NDA I smell, Dave? Is there a? I actually didn't sign on. I'm just I'm just playing by the rules. You're just, just playing being nice. by the the verbal agreement we had. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on from Lab 71. Another thing we're going to keep an eye on, uh, and I guarantee you we will be talking about again soon. So let's move on to some Strava news. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel I feel, I feel like we're being a little bit less techie this week, a little more like industry. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's just a slow week or what. but we're just, We'll fix that later. Lot, there's a lot later going on. Yeah. There's a lot going on in the industry right now, to be perfectly honest, and and we're interested in it. We hope you are as well. One of the big ones in the last week was that the CEO of Strava, Michael Corbath, announced that he he's not imminently resigning, but he announced that the search for his successor has begun. Uh, again, and so again, <laughs> and he he's he's the current CEO. He's also one of the co-founders. He helped get Strava off the ground, and then he actually left for a while. Then he came back. Remind me, Dave, was it three years ago? Something like that. Uh, feels about right. Yeah, four years ago. The pandemic messes with my my time scales. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, twenty nineteen's right. Yeah, yeah. So he came back to Strava and kind of led the shift toward uh, more of a kind of subscription model and trying to get revenue straight out of its users. They had been doing some, they've been chasing all kinds of things previously. They've been chasing advertising. They've been chasing all kinds of weird stuff. I, he he righted the ship. He, I would say he pretty successfully righted the ship. There's been some stumbles, yeah. not least of which were in the last couple of weeks around pricing and things like that. Uh, but in general, I think he pointed Strava in the right direction. And, and I don't think we need to, beat around the bush here to say that you know we in general are fans of companies going to their actual user base for their revenue it tends to make for a better product i think and mm. i think that's kind of borne out with with strava they i know that there, there are still some frustrations out there with a lot, a lot of the things that strava does but if you if you cast your mind back to four or five years ago they were much more adrift than they are right now uh, and with that pivot to to turning their users into, uh, well, their customers, they've kind of improved on that. And I think that was a that was a lot of that was from Horvath. So, yeah, what does this mean for Strava going forward, though? What are we, what are we taking from this? I think it's a, it's a tough one for them. I think they they play in a a fairly difficult space where they're kind of currently appealing to mass market cyclists but a lot of those mass market cyclists get what they want out of the app without having to pay mm-hmm. whereas the really dedicated training focused cyclists such as ronin is probably using a more sophisticated training platform like a training peaks or a uh, today's plan or something like that that's also a paid service and you're probably not going to pay for both services because they they overlap quite a bit so mm-hmm. For me, I, I don't know. Like, I don't have the answer, but I just, I, I, I see the struggle that is ahead with this company, and and uh, it's it's so interesting to see a company of this size uh, in this predicament. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned this in our little WhatsApp chat that it, it Strava for a long time to me has felt like a like a utility, right? It feels like an electric utility, or like the way you get your gas, or something like that. That just sort of it almost just exists in the background. You know, everybody uses it, and it would be a 
it would be kind of devastating if it actually went away but you don't really ever think about it like you know when, when my rides finish i stop my wahoo watch and it just goes to strava right and it just keeps track of what i've done and i'm not training for anything in particular really and i, and I don't really care about my tss and whatever else like training peaks can get me i just want to kind of keep track of what i'm doing and you know be able to count up my ski days at the end of the season like stuff like that <laughs> and for that i, I really you know uh, like you said Dave, like i don't necessarily have to pay uh i do pay <laughs> i do subscribe to strava yeah. because i i philosophically believe in kind of paying for things that i use that often but you're right they're they're in a very strange place since this like we, we had this discussion earlier in the week on, on our we group there and i've sort of been thinking to myself since that like I was actually thinking a lot before that was just if my head units didn't automatically upload, would I take the time and the effort to keep my Strava up to date? I think it's probably one of those that I would maybe do like a, a bulk update once a month or once every two months. But for me, you know, like Strava is, yes, it's ticking away in the background. It's real nice to have like 10 years worth of data there now and you know, 10 years worth of rides more so than data actually because, you know, there's not, much, there's not that much analytics in it. But for me, the biggest thing on it now is just their maps, and they've done like such a real good job of, you know, route planning and the maps and the heat maps and all that is especially like if you're it's the most useful feature trying to, yeah, by by far and away the most useful feature now. And yes, I also have a subscription for Strava, so I don't, and I always have done, so I don't exactly know what is free and what is premium. Um, but you know what initially got me into Strava in terms of the leaderboards and all that. It's maybe like one once a year when I'm struggling a bit for motivation to keep my training going and I'll go out and target a few KOMs just, you know, that's the one time per year that I actually I, think about that again. I thought you were about to say when I'm struggling for motivation, I look at my straw, I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm a legend. And then you just... And then <laughs> Only you just a local legend, out. Dave. Only yeah. a local legend. <laughs> I, I honestly think part of the pro- part of Strava's problem at this point, like the part of the reason they they did stuff like local legend local legends, is you have to be a like near world class cyclist to get on any sort of leaderboard in a, in large parts of the world, right? Anywhere in the world where there are a lot of cyclists at this point, or where pros ever show up, you have to you have to right? Like I'm down here in Durango. It's it's all Sepp Kuss, Quinn Simmons, Payson McElveen. Like it's 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 people that I'm never, ever, ever going to go faster than in a million years. <laughs> Same thing in a place like Boulder, even ten times more. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's they they kind of have to contend with that because it makes it's made what was their original the thing that originally got them where they are, which is those leaderboards. It's made them like almost irrelevant, right? Because mm. If Ronan is the only one in, the, in this trio who has a chance in heck of ever getting on, uh, getting a KOM on anything any, anymore, then then we kind of yeah. got a problem, right? Yeah, well, you you know you can filter it by age and, and that sort of thing also, which you know, which, <laughs> and by by club and by group and all this yeah. sort of things. Yeah, but you can do what my father does, which is yeah, age group, gender, club. Weight. You can do club too, I think. Club and then and then week. <laughs> and day i think you can do day as well you can do day yeah but what i was just going to say was that i i always get when i do go onto the app i i get this sense it's like they haven't quite figured out whether they want to be something like training peaks or want to be something like instagram 
and as a result it ends up nothing like either and you know I've, I've got a timeline but i don't really feel that i've got like a great engagement with it and even simple things like someone will you know mention you in a comment but you can't actually directly reply to the comment all you can do is either like it or ignore it uh and then like the you know as dave pointed out at the start it's like the the actual in terms of training analysis and that it, it just hasn't got the same tools like and, and this is where i feel like you know and i don't know the size of i'll, I'll just pick a random name like the today's plan or something like that had strava and today's plan been one thing rather than been two separate things yeah they might have replaced training peaks for me but at the moment i'm like diehard training peaks and and wko and to move me away from either is going to take something like a combined strava and today's plan sort of yeah offering yeah it's it's too too wide and they haven't gone deep anywhere right lots of breadth mm. and not enough depth and i would say that the only exception to that is in the mapping and, and routing capabilities which are are genuinely excellent and are for me like that's reason enough to to subscribe and and you know i i use those all the time uh and i and i use them over top of lots of other options on that front because it just works better it's already tapped into like the rides that i do the heat map is so useful as a tool for like where have i ridden before where exactly is that corner that i'm looking for you know particularly off-road it's mm. it's it's a it's a world-class product on that particular area but i think everything else is yeah it, it's it's shot for sort of the widest possible audience the, the one thing i'm really surprised i've never got into is you know uh, and just let's remember for a second that it's not just a cycling platform this is like multi-sport and you know especially in running and and other sports and where i'm surprised i've never really tapped into is just like actually helping athletes get like training plans and you know with especially with ai and that coming in at the moment if you have you know couch to 5k and running or couch to 50k for cycling actually you know providing training plans for that as well because it's one of the actually few brands that sort of goes beyond my cycling circle like other people who i know who don't cycle will also know strava from their running or from whatever else they're doing mm. and you while we've also got all these other you know 12 week training plan offerings from from different online platforms or ai training plans coming in now from the likes of um trainer road and that it seems like something like that to actually Strava started out as a leaderboard basically for local segments and they never actually got around to providing a way to try to help you move up that leaderboard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they would argue that adding some of the training stuff that they have now was that was their version of that. But it, yeah, I mean, they just raised their prices kind of across the board. There was controversy around that, uh, mostly around not knowing how much you were going to be paying, which they didn't do a great job communicating. Ray over at DC Rainmaker did a great piece on on that in particular if you want to go check out the details there we don't need need to go into them here uh, i guess yeah my last my last thought on it is and i'm sure that they have run these numbers there's very smart people over there but given the fact that they are, have sort of shot for breadth over depth in a lot of different areas and they have a enormous user base i wonder if going in the opposite direction from a pricing perspective would have made more sense like make it all paid but make it like $3 or something like that mm -hmm. and just see how many people you convert. And you probably lose a huge, huge, huge amount of your, your user base and maybe that's what they're scared of. But in the end, revenue might be higher. I don't know. I, back in the napkin here, just 
just spitballing yeah. but uh yeah g- given given the way that the rest of the of the product is focused it feels like a sort of low cost high volume play versus a higher cost lower volume play which is kind of what they've been doing yeah it's such a hard thing because they need that that mass volume for some of the features that they're selling on like the mapping for example relies on the data from having yep hundreds of thousands of people perhaps millions of people uh providing that data and filling out the most popular ride segments and all that uh and the heat maps and everything so yeah i mean it's it's just such a tough place for them to be in well that's enough strava we've talked about strava long enough uh but Mm -hmm. it is like i said it's it's a utility i mean what what other what other brand can we talk about in all of cycling where the probably the majority of our listeners have used it it's a lightweight wheels Light, besides lightweight wheels in this particular podcast. <laughs> I've, I, we can't move on yet. I just remembered my biggest problem with Strava. Oh, yeah. Okay. You do an Everest thing, like 76 times more gap. And within 90 days, you've lost your local legend status. <laughs> <laughs> you got to space be, it out. It should be some kind of like, um, yeah. like slowly decomposing thing, you know, where like yes. if you get that high, it takes longer to go away. Something like that. I'm sure you could code that. Anyway. It's time for everyone's favorite one-week-old segment, On Your Mind and Over the Head of Your Family. Uh, what is on your mind and over the head of your family, Dave Rome? Uh, more tools, of course. Could it be anything other? Uh, this week, I, on my mind, is removing hub bearings mm. with a press. So traditionally, when you think of removing bearings... or if Hammer. You're a mechanic, hammer. But yeah, it's... Or a puller tool, if if you're fancy, but a press. So uh, Ceramic Speed's hub tool set has done this for a little while when they first introduced it. It came with like a a cup that sits around the hub shell that you then push the bearing into. So mm. it gives you something to kind of pull against, and then you put a press from the opposite side, and you could push the axle of the hub to to use uh to push the bearing out and this only works on on hubs that have like the the axle sort of sandwiched by the bearings where you'd need to hammer on the axle or push on the axle and then that takes out one of the bearing and then you put the axle back in and you push it or hammer it again and then that takes out the other bearing so like dt swiss for example uses Mm -hmm. a hub set up like this uh but yeah lately i've really taken to using a press for this. So yeah, Ceramic Speed were first to do it, but more recently out of the UK, there's a Noble, uh, N-O-B-L-E, um, not N-O-B-L, I think is the similar brand. Uh, also out of the UK, also does wheels, but is different spelling. Uh, yeah, so Noble, they, they I guess, make tools. They make like uh, wheel building jigs and a few other really neat tools, but they came up with cool idea where you take uh, a pre-existing tool which is a hub a hope hub support tool which typically just sits on top of the bench and you you rest your hub on top of it and then you use a hammer to knock things out you grab that and then you buy their little kit which just has like a little plate and a little um bushing that goes on the axle and then you can use any press you want or any threaded rod you want to to pull out bearings and uh i'm all for smoother ways uh, hammer free ways of uh working on bikes so there you go that's what's on my mind boo but what, what's the benefit you don't use a hammer yeah but a hammer works fine sometimes a hammer is the proper you, tool you, dave 
You get to buy a new tool. You get to buy a new tool. <laughs> it's it's uh the issue with the hammer is that there's actually quite a bit of risk because the axles themselves are typically quite a lightweight aluminium. So mm. the the risk with the hammer is not so much causing damage to the bearing, but causing damage to the axle itself. So like DT Swiss, for example, they their hub toolkits used to come with and still do come with uh, little adapters that would sit into the axle that would give you a, a nice face to hammer against. Uh, the reality is, is most people just hit the axle. Um, so yeah, it's it's a press is just a much cleaner, uh, much more controlled, much more gentle way of of doing hub maintenance. Uh, and and yeah, I think being gentle to your high end wheels is not a bad thing. That is true. That is true. Yeah. yeah. Ronan, what is on your mind and over the head of your family? Flipping heart rate straps. When when did they get so terrible? <laughs> I started cycling 20 years ago and heart rate was like one of the things that was easily measured and I literally have a, a wardrobe half full of broken heart rate straps you have now. a point and the, the wrist like, ones are completely useless Why? oh well I mean like if, if I wanted to guess I would just guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> I can't say I've put a heart rate strap on in about five years so I, I I'm having trouble uh, feeling you on this one but what, yeah, what are they, well, how I've, do they break? I've, they just stop working? I've gone through about five in the past three, four months, probably. Like I've had Wahoo, a couple from Wahoo, a Hammerhead. Uh, I then went and like bought like the recommended Polar one because Polar have been doing it forever. Mm. And when I last had a Polar 20 years ago, it I think it still works. Was, it just yeah, doesn't have Bluetooth on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the new one is just, yeah, it, it uh, I think it's, you know, as they've sort of built in more tech into them, um, they've just, for some reason, become more fragile or whatever. Mm. So basically the battery will go or salt from your sweat will corrode uh, yeah. and cause cause issues that way. But the only one I haven't tried actually is the newest of the Garmin ones. Um, but yeah, I'm just at, I've, I've bought more coin cell batteries in the past two months. <laughs> Would <What? laughs> Uh, and it's a common problem, like you know, searching it online. There, there's there's quite a few oh, people yeah. experiencing the same issue. Yeah, most people tend to get one or two years out of the latest straps, um, and so you're doing one or two years worth of riding in a few months. So it makes sense that you you're cooking them. But it's, I guess, my point is like I also remember like that far back where they used to just last and last and last, and you could pick up a a ten year old polar strap and it would still give you a heart rate. What's mm-hmm. like? What has changed here? Like, what are they? What would you like to see them go back to? It's the toaster effect, isn't it? Like, if you have a toaster from the '60s, it probably still works. But yeah, if you have a toaster from things... two years ago, it almost certainly doesn't. Like, it just well, like, I mean, the toaster or our latest to- toaster purchase almost caused a divorce in this house. So let's not go into that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, if you're gonna buy one, let's buy one that's you know that's well designed. But anyway, that's another rabbit hole. <laughs> But I guess my point, my my thing with the toaster, and perhaps I'm on uh, your wife's side, Ronan, is, is or am I on am I on your side? I don't know. Let's uh, hear what your take is. My my take is that all toasters are terrible these days. Like it doesn't matter how much you spend on a toaster, it is a terrible toaster, and it's worse than a toaster that my grandmother had. They just don't make them very well. They just die, uh, and so you might as well just go buy the fourteen dollar toaster. That's that's my take on it because you're gonna have to buy one every three years anyway. And it, I'd rather buy. Um, I'd rather spend fourteen dollars every three years than 
$150 every three years. I'm a little more of an of an optimist, to be honest with you. And I, 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 I believe we probably could get a toaster that will at least fit the types of bread that we toast. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a base <laughs> for, at, le- at least for the time that it's working, we would be able to toast all of our slices rather than like three quarters. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, can, I'm, can, I'm with you, Ryan. But you can, yeah. you can buy a toaster with... This is a good. This is a, this is a quality <laughs> bike tangent. Uh, you can buy a toaster with the right size holes. That still isn't like. A, so, so I mean, this comes from personal experience. Like we, bought, at one point, bought a nice toaster, and then it it just died in the same amount of time as all the rest of the toasters. And I was like, well, all right, we're going back to fourteen dollars toasters because modern the modern world uh, planned obsolescence of the toaster means that we. <laughs> We just have to buy new toasters every three years and we just you know, get over it. Buy a cheap one. So anyway, that my, mm. my point with the heart rate strap thing is that they're probably just not built as robustly as they once were. They're also a, a heck of a lot more complicated. And you just have this sort of toaster effect where like at some point you might as well just go find the cheapest one you can because they're all going to die in six months. Is anyone Which is, doing which is depressing, rate? I should say. Like that's not is, an ideal. Is anyone doing a rechargeable heart rate strap with like induction charging? Not, not that I know of, or not that springs that to would, mind. But that would be good. That'd be super cool. Hmm. Mm, they but, should. Like the battery thing isn't really an issue for me because you know we with the old Polars, the the batteries would last longer than. Well, I was going to say the head unit, but I found a Polar head unit about a year ago that was at least fifteen years old, <laughs> and it turned on and worked. <laughs> this the day I found it, but like I think a basics is you know it should be. Not sweat resistant, but sweat proof. At, yeah. at, you know, we're in 2023 here. If heart rate monitors are breaking down within a couple of months because they're getting corroded by sweat, yeah, that's that's a that's a design flaw. It's just unforgivable, really. Mm-hmm. It's like a toaster with bread slots that are too small. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly like that. We, we do we do toast pancakes sometimes, and they work okay. So. <laughs> All right, I, I have a I have an on my mind and over yes. the head of my family. Um, yes. So there's an event here in Durango every year called the Iron Horse Bicycle Classic. Uh, the iron the name Iron Horse comes from the fact that you race the train from here in Durango. It's a little narrow gauge train up over the mountains to Silverton. So I live at about two thousand meters, uh, sixty one hundred feet, something like that. Uh, Silverton's at, I want to say like 2,800 or so. Um, I'm just pulling that out, but it's, it's higher than here. So this, this road event, fully closed roads, super, super fun. And uh, you go through this big, long valley to start for like the first 45 minutes, and then you climb, and then finish in Silverton. So you finish a couple thousand feet higher than you started, but there are two relatively fast descents in there. So it's not just like a climbing time trial. And you've got this 45 minutes through the valley at the beginning in a in kind of a big group that goes really fast because uh, like there's a there's a lot of hitters here in here in durango so, so i'm trying to figure out what bike i should ride for this this year and specifically like what wheels so last year i rode uh i didn't you know was wasn't trying to optimize here i rode a, an athos uh with some kind of shallow carbon wheels obviously beautiful riding bike super fun on the climbs feels great Great day out, but if I wanted to optimize a bit more, knowing what you know about the uh, the route ahead of me, what like how deep do I go on the wheels? Do I go aero bike? This this thing takes like two and a half hours for me, and 
two of those hours or an hour 45 maybe are, are mostly uphill. What sort of gradients? Um, mostly in the kind of like six ish percent range, but keep in mind that we're at 3000 meters. <laughs> so you're not pushing anywhere near the, the Watts gotcha. that you would be. And, yeah, yeah. and, uh, yeah. you know, I think I averaged something like 250 last year. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what the average speed was, but actually I'll, let me pull that up for you guys. I'll tell you. Is it on your Strava? It's on my Strava. So 46.92 miles. I forget what that is in Ks. 80K? 75K? Something like that? Just, just under 80K. You yeah. climb 5,700 feet, uh, which is 1,800 meters. Mm-hmm. Uh, time Total time for this ride was 240, but my, I think my race time was something like 220. Um, average speed... 17.7 miles per hour which is 30k an hour right hmm. uh, i think the first thing you need is definitely internal cable routing <laughs> i guess joking aside actually the the best question is what are the options you know because if the ethos is still the only bike you have then it's about optimizing that whereas if you've got other options i mean uh, then... well the question is do i go out and and seek something else i mean you know we work in the bike industry i could probably pull a couple favors here and there uh, get get a bike to borrow for the weekend i could do that or i could put some deeper wheels on the ethos which is kind of what i'm leaning toward at the moment because it rides so nice it descends really well you know i don't i'm not going to win this right like quinn simmons won it last year he's probably going to beat me again i would say yeah. well but, but that's because he has internal cabling true it's that madone right i i guess to, to sort of simplify it this is my gut says this is an arrow course despite the fact that i climbed 2000 close to 2000 meters and and like it feels like the entire day is uphill because it kind of is despite that fact it still feels like an arrow course what do you think Ronan? my my gut given that it's at this altitude and and your speeds are probably Considering the amount of climbing and such a short distance, and the speeds are also lower, uh, if this you know if this was the same course but starting at sea level, I would be with you on the arrow. But I think it's more to do with uh, I would be leaning towards arrow optimizing a lightweight setup rather mm-hmm. than making an arrow optimized setup lighter. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, I would say like you. Know, uh, 45 50 mil rims uh the right tire with good good racing tires on there um i don't know 32 centimeter handlebars something like that Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but that that's the way i would go they're one piece bars in the ethos and i I have zero interest in in swapping those out (laughs) i think they're 40s if you're not going to take this seriously i'm not having this conversation (laughs) what tire width would you run ran uh well Depending on, on the, the surface, the, what's the rim? Yeah, yeah. Roads are pretty good, uh, and it is closed roads, so like the descents are f- are fast, because uh, yeah, you're not supposed to cross the yellow line in case somebody's coming, like an ambulance or something. But uh, it's still you can you can use the the full width of the lane, and it's a, it's a superb event actually. Uh, like if anybody else is in the region or anywhere nearby and wants to come do like a real road race on closed roads in the high mountains uh 
which doesn't exist in America. Just like that, like literally doesn't exist in America other than this one. Uh, you should come. You should come do it. It's awesome. Mm. All right. Well, I'll put deep wheels in the Athos. <laughs> Deeper. <laughs> that was what Deeper. my that's what my gut said that's what my gut said but i wanted to i wanted to to gut check with you ronan there well i mean like yeah if if, <laughs> if, it, were, if it was me i might be leaning and you know you're sort of catching me on the hop here but off the top of my head something like the new ultimate or something like that that you know is still gonna maybe not every bit as light as the ethos but is gonna be lighter than if we take Canyon Zoller offering the air road um but and, and all joking aside but it does have things like internal cable routing and it does have you can narrow the handlebars on it and you know obviously you can put whatever wheels on it but it's still a lightweight platform that you're building from that's maybe the direction I would be looking one further question uh many is it windy on the climb the final climb can be I mean, it, you, you're in the Rocky Mountains, so it could snow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not quite middle of summer, but it's the end of May, early June, uh, usually Memorial Day. And, yeah, it's snowed before. Uh, weather can roll in really fast. You're, I mean, you're, you're higher than the highest point in Europe for most sure. of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You're up an house guy from an Australian point of view. Yeah. yeah, so stuff can happen really fast. And it, it can get really busy, really windy. The the I would say the um, the average wind direction, the normal wind direction, is up the valley at your at your back. So you okay. tailwind tailwind on the flats, and then mostly tailwind up the up the climbs. Okay, all right. So you Which might get a, a sailing effect from a, a slightly different deeper wheel. Mm. Yeah, my my question was just if it if it's gusty, then I'd be personally going slightly shallower mm. for that reason. But I'm I'm a wimp as well. So yeah. Maybe shallow front if it's really gnarly. No, never. <laughs> never give in to the wind. Harness the wind. Harness the wind. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's what's been on my mind because I'm sitting here. The bike's sitting over here next to me. And, mm. uh, and you know, I'm thinking about the Iron Horse because, well, it snowed two feet here uh, this week. But at some point here, I'll be getting back on a bicycle and, and we'll need to get fit and right over the mountain passes to silverton so last on today's list we got a we got a psa a public service announcement dave yeah. rome what does the public need to know a reminder that now that so many road bikes have gone to disc brakes we've got a new a lot of new people taking up the world of disc brakes and i'd just like to remind everyone that you're the fluid inside of those brakes if you've got hydraulic brakes the hydraulic means there's fluid in them needs to be replaced it's it's not a forever fluid it, it's it's a consumable and regardless of the brand of brakes you have you should be considering having that fluid replaced at least annually uh, and that is much more frequent than i think most people assume when they buy into these bikes and the reason why i say this is that you think that your your brakes will tell you Yes, Kaylee, you can say it because you've said this to me already. Well, when we were talking about this prior to recording, I said your brakes will tell you when they need new fluid by not working yes. particularly well. And that's generally what I, I either use that as an indicator or, you know, you'll be doing like a quick, uh, like, like lever bleed or something like that on Shimano's, right? Where you just stick the cup in and, and stick some new fluid in. And if mm. the stuff that comes out is 
black. It's, it's, left prob- it too long. it's, it's probably time. <laughs> That's it, the other you, good indicator. It was time. Now it it's is, way beyond it time. time. If it, so, and that's my point: is a lot of people will replace the fluid when they see that, and and I'm I'm basically saying that's too late. So, what I what is possible? Why? So, what's possible with Shimano brakes is that mineral oil, when it goes black, you basically have like a lot of sediment and uh, seal seal breakdown in that fluid, and that can actually cause clo- uh, like blockages inside the ports and and master cylinder of the brake. So you can actually potentially damage the brake because you can't necessarily get into those ports ever again. Um, so you can effectively cause some clogging and, and irreversible damage to the to the brake system by leaving it too long. So by continuously keeping the uh, the fluid fluid fresh, which for a Shimano brake like annually should be enough for casual users, uh, but people living in high mountains should really do it more frequently because the brakes experience heat cycles. Uh, but yeah, keeping that fluid fresh will actually ensure that you don't run into any uh, unexpected issues of, of causing unwanted um, yeah, wear and tear inside that brake. Ronan? D- Dave, what if um, a bike hasn't been used in the previous year? Mm. Uh, and I'm presuming it goes for beyond that, but let's say, for example, someone was previously a tech rider and was riding bikes that were not his. Mm-hmm. and now has a bike that hasn't had the brakes used in a couple of years and now he needs to get back on that bike, does it need a full bleed or is it good to go? Uh, I would say it depends. So officially Shimano Minroil should actually be okay just sitting around and not being used. It's not going to be drawing in any contaminants or really wearing down the seals by just sitting unused. Uh, brakes using dot fluid, uh, like an automotive brake fluid, um, specifically i'm talking shram if you're looking on road bikes uh they regardless of whether they get used or not that fluid is hydroscopic so it draws water in and contains that water uh so yeah regardless of use for shram brakes you you should replace that fluid annually uh for shimano it's more a usage case shimano and camping nowhere so yeah so there you go uh so shram uh their their fluid i would say there's benefits to that dot fluid, but uh, but yeah, you probably do need to replace it more frequently, just purely out of the fact that it does absorb that water, uh, and and it creates more fluid in the system when it does that. So it also lowers the boiling point of that fluid. So they're they're very different reasons for why you should be replacing the fluids, but it's uh, regardless, uh, your fluid needs to be replaced, and you should factor that in if you're buying a new bike or you bought a disc brake bike you should really be factoring that into your annual service costs because it, it's something that shouldn't be ignored my own fluids get replaced daily <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> alright that seems like a good place to cut it off uh, <laughs> I want to say a quick thank you to Matt Deneef who created our theme tune for this podcast he also created the theme tune for the placeholders podcast um he he had the unenviable job of me saying can you make me something with xylophones uh which if you don't understand go back and listen to the very first episode of the placeholders and and Mm -hmm. then you will understand uh anyway thanks to matt for for this particular banger it's fantastic a quick reminder to review us Uh, you can either review us in the placeholders channel or like i said last episode this podcast has its own geek warning channel we'd actually love reviews on the latter if you 
want to do that, that would be awesome. Because that's one that doesn't have very many reviews, whereas the placeholders has like 500 or something like that. Uh, so yeah, please do that. Please give us a, a review and a rating uh, wherever you listen. iTunes is is good. Spotify, whatever else. Uh, and share this. We wanted to remind yeah. you to share this episode. Uh, we all put that it on our social way. media. It goes a really long way. It it, it It's exponential, right? Uh, we share it on our social media and the easiest way to do it is just to like reshare that right if we've got it on our instagram just click the little airplane paper airplane button put it in your story call it good it's hugely appreciated and we we genuinely do when we see a bunch of those shares we see a bump in listenership which is a huge deal for us particularly right now so thank you i think that's it for uh for us this week dave ronan do you guys have anything else you want to chat about probably worth saying that we you know we it's not going to be this group show all the time. Just, I know we said it last week, but we've had another episode being this one, uh, and it's another group show, but there are deep dives coming also. Yeah, so yeah, just to reiterate, the, the plan is to have the group show every week, but we will be adding additional episodes on top of that, uh, deep dives and exciting new product release uh, releases and that type of thing. Uh, so yeah, we that is coming. So Lots expect of more. Yeah. Many things are coming. <laughs> Yes. Very soon. Terrifyingly soon. Keep an eye out. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Ciao.